Thank you very much. I want to speak today about the power of perception. And we're going to look at a passage in Luke's Gospel. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So I want to speak today on the power of perception. Perception is powerful. Your perception of the events and people in your life is not neutral. We all bring lenses to the challenges and opportunities we face. What you perceive can be as significant as the actual challenges and circumstances you face because your, per your perception frames those circumstances and gives meaning to them. It's the basis on which you respond to those circumstances. What you see shapes how you act. And so in that sense... Your perception can be your reality. And at the start of a new year, a new decade, what you see and how you see is really highly significant because none of us has a completely neutral lens. And actually, sometimes other people in the world around us is trying to give us a particular lens through which to see things. I was really annoyed last week to read um, in a few newspapers, a few articles, saying that tomorrow is Divorce Monday or tomorrow is kind of Divorce Day. And um, what happens is lawyers pay market companies a lot of money to get these stories in the newspaper and it really frustrates me because I've got really great friends who have been through um, quite painful divorces and in a group this size there'll be lots of people who have faced that and it really annoys me a, a, lawyer, a law firm trying to mark it on the basis of what are sometimes the most difficult experiences in people's lives but it also annoys me because it kind of is trying to push a lens onto me through which I perceive my relationship so if I think tomorrow is divorce Monday then I might kind of look at my wife tomorrow morning and think, you know, you know, it was quite a difficult Christmas and your extended family's been a bit tricky and that Christmas present was all right, but it could have been better. And you, know, you can start to view things in a certain way. And in the same way, you know, in a few, in a few weeks, it's um, Blue Monday and they say, and they say, oh, this is the, the, the day of the year when you're supposed to be most miserable. And again, you can start to think, oh, well, you know, there's not much sunlight in the day, and it's a long time since I got paid, and it's a long time until I'm going to be able to go on holiday today, and you start to feel a bit down. 
But I want to come in a different lens. I'm a bit of a tigger, I'm a bit of an optimist, so okay, you might say that tomorrow's Divorce Monday. I want to call it kind of Marriage Appreciation Day. I'm going to write my wife a note, say all the things I appreciate about her. I'm going to buy her flowers. We're going to go out for a meal. You know, I, Blue Monday, I'm going to call it Joy Monday. You know, I'm going to wake up, watch a sunrise. I'm going to go for a swim. For me, I'm going to order Chinese food. Those are the things that bring great joy to my life. And actually, while you're at it, just to say, on the 20th of January, that day, what they call Blue Monday, is actually the day the marriage course starts. And I just really encourage you, you know, if, if you're going, you can kind of hit two birds with one stone. <laughs> if you're going through a bit of a difficult time, or maybe you just want to invest in your relationship, um, that's a great thing I'd encourage you to do. It's a lot cheaper and a lot more fun. And um, that might be something you want to do. But your perspective is really powerful. It makes a difference. And what if the most significant thing you change this year was the way you see people in your life? So the first thing we see in this passage is sometimes it's important to change your lens. What's the lens you use to look at other people? Because you don't have any control over the filters other people use when they look at you, but you do have control over the filters you use when you look at other people. It's fascinating in this exchange. There's this lawyer, this religious teacher, and he stands up to test Jesus. He says, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? But it's a test. And Jesus spots it as a test, so he flips the question around. And he says, what's written in the law? How do you read it? Almost how do you perceive it? And he says, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He rattles off the right answer. But it's quite easy to say, but much harder to live. And Jesus says, well, you've answered correctly. Do that and you'll live. And both bits are hard, but the lawyer kind of focuses on the second bit. And he says, you know, on love your neighbor as yourself. And because he wants to justify himself, because he wants to meet that standard on his own, he wants a list. You know, who the, just give me a list of people I have to be nice to, that have a responsibility to help. And I wonder today who would be on your list. Maybe your family, Probably not your extended family. Maybe just your immediate family. Um, maybe your friends, close friends. Maybe your colleagues, colleagues you like. You know, who would be on your list? In response to, to answer him, Jesus tells this story. He says, a man is going between Jerusalem and Jericho. And that was a well-traveled route. It was steep. It was rocky. There were lots of caves. It could be dangerous because robbers would kind of lie in wait and uh, attack travelers. And you know, he's set upon and he's robbed. He's mugged. And um, it's not a nice experience being uh, mugged in a group this size. There'll probably be a number of people who have been mugged. And it, it can be really, really uh, painful. And you know, we can pray for you after the service if you're still struggling with that. Actually, in a group this size, there's probably a few people who have mugged someone. Um, so... <laughs> If you're here, it's not too late, we can pray for you. Um, you know, there's forgiveness and mercy and all those things. Um, but I actually was sort of mugged once. I was 14 years old, I was in Peterborough city center, and this gang kind of came up to me and surrounded me, and the ringleader came up and looked at me and said, hand over your possessions. And the first rule of being mugged is, you know, don't try and be a hero, you're, you're much more valuable than your possessions, just hand over the stuff. And so I was trying to get in my pockets to kind of hand over what little possessions I had, but I wasn't quick enough, and so another one came forward, and he, he really wanted to intimidate me, so he said, where do you live? And I was like, Luton? And uh, he said, where's that? And I said, oh, it's, it's not actually in Peterborough, it's just 
north of London. He said, where? And I said, well, it's a town north of London. There's an airport and, you know, various, you know, <laughs> trying to explain. And then a third guy stepped forward and he said, Luton. My cousin lives in Luton. I was like, oh. <laughs> he, said, he said, do you know him? And I was like, now part of me wanted to say, you know, it's a town of 300,000 people. What do you think? But I thought it wasn't really the time for that. So I said, I said, well, I might do. What's his name? And he said, oh, his name's this. And I said, well, that sounds familiar. Um, where does he go to school? And he said, oh, he goes to school here. And I said, oh, I know that school quite well. Where does he live? Does he live near the school? He said, yeah, yeah, he lives two streets away from the school. So actually he lives, there's this patch of grass where an ice cream van parks. I'm like, I know that ice cream van. He goes, oh, yeah, he lives just around the corner from there. I said, oh, yeah, I know that. I probably would recognize him if I saw him, actually. He's like, oh, great. I was like, I was like uh, he's like, he's like we, we actually visit quite a bit. So what do you say? Like, well, next time you're here, come round for a cup of tea. And, you know, maybe me and my friends can mug you. You know. I was, so I was, I was like, oh, that's nice. He said, what are you doing in Peterborough? I said, why? Well, yeah, I'm just, you know, shopping. You know, bit of this, bit of that. He's like, all right. I was like, are we okay? Are we? Are we all right? And he's like, yeah, 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 yeah. So sorry, mate. Yeah, sorry, mate. Yeah, on you go, on you go. So sorry, sorry about that. Sorry about that. I was like, no, no worries, no worries. Um, and I carried on walking. And it was funny because that kind of mugging had lost its momentum because I wasn't just a random person anymore. I was someone who lived two streets away from his cousin. Perception is powerful. But the guy in this story actually gets properly mugged. He's beaten. He's stripped. He's left naked. He's got no clothes, no possession. He's left half dead. And it's interesting, that means a lot of those micro-indicators we use forming a judgment on someone are gone. The kind of blink test, the kind of seven-second snap judgment. You know, how someone holds themselves, how they speak, the clothes they wear, the job they do, how wealthy are they, none of them are available. He's lying in the road, and he could be anyone, and he could be no one. And a priest comes by, and he sees him, and having seen him, he walks by on the other side. Because of how he saw him, he walked by on the other side. And then a Levite, an assistant priest comes by, and he saw the man. And because of how he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Two people who have a particular duty to help those in need. Both saw the man. But how they saw him affected how they responded. Lots of possible reasons for that. People say, well, maybe they'd just come from the temple in Jerusalem and they were ceremonially clean and they didn't want to get dirty by maybe touching someone who might be on their way to being dead. Or maybe it was inconvenient or maybe it was dangerous for them because if they helped him, then they'd be more vulnerable to robbers themselves. There's always, if you think long enough, there is always a good reason not to do the right thing. But it's still right to do the right thing. Their perception impacted their response. And that happens for us too. Lots of the people in the city have needs and some of those needs are really immediate and obvious and they're physical and we run a, a day shelter and a night shelter for those some of those people their immediate need is a hot meal and a warm bed it's obvious and you might know other people who have a really obvious immediate need at the moment but sometimes it's not so obvious it's not so visible people are struggling with emotional or psychological needs and also with spiritual needs city of 8.7 million people, there's a lot of people here with deep spiritual needs. I think about my barber 
Marco. I, um, I found my new barber a little while ago. I was walking past this kind of barber shop in South London, and I went in, I thought I'd give it a go. I sat down, and there were three barbers, but I knew he was going to be my barber because he had, a, he had a quite cool haircut, and you never want your hair cut by someone who doesn't have a cool haircut. It's just like, it's just, you know, you just got to trust them for that. And then he had, like, like quite cool tattoos. He was, like, Italian. I knew that because he spoke Italian. And um, he was quite a fun guy. He was quite chatty. I quite like a chatty barber. I know some of you, that's your idea of, like, the worst possible thing. Like, you quite enjoy going in an Uber and asking it to be silent and just sitting there quietly. Don't want anyone to speak to you. I quite enjoy speaking to people, so I was quite happy about that. We had a great time. He gave me a good haircut. I was so happy about it. So thrilled with the whole experience. I tipped him an absurd amount. Like, it was more than double what the actual haircut cost. I don't know why. It just got carried away. Um, difficulty is... <laughs> difficulty is I went back and of course he gave me the same service I'm now tied in like I can't I don't feel like I can lower my tip you know so I'm kind of I'm kind of doubling his pay every he must think I'm his best customer and so but we talk about all sorts of things Marco and I we talk about his business ideas his plans for the future his girlfriends his flat his flatmates his challenges there's all sorts of things he might need at the moment you know I hope he his business flourishes I hope he finds a great girlfriend but actually what I know he needs most deep down is a relationship with his maker, is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the thing actually I know deep down that I can most help him with is by inviting him to come along and do Alpha this year. The thing I think that could make the biggest difference to Marco is to do Alpha this year. But even then, even though I know that, it's very easy to approach Marco with different lenses. You know, people kind of push lenses on you the whole time and I kind of approach him and feel like, oh, you know, different lenses. So I might approach him with a lens that basically says, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, I'm, I'm actually quite busy. Um, I'm moderately important in my own mind. And so, like, I kind of approach Marco. I'm like, I don't have much time. Uh, Marco's taking, you know, why am I walking 35 minutes out of my way? Why am I doubling his tip to have a haircut with this guy who get a haircut with anybody? Why am I investing time in this relationship? It's not a significant relationship in my life. Um, is it going to make a difference? I don't, so, I mean, instantly, I'm like, it's just inconvenient. And it's not that comfortable. And it's a bit costly. What's the point? And we can approach people with that lens. I'm busy. I'm important. They're not as important. They're not as busy. What's the point? Or we can take that lens off and we can look at them in a different way and say, actually, is it that much of a cost? Is it that inconvenient? Who knows what might happen if I invest a little bit of time in that relationship? And who knows what purpose God might have for Marco? So that's one lens I might use, might need to take off. But I might also look at him and I might think, well, you know, you know, I, I feel like I'm quite independent, my independent lens. I don't like to be tied down. I don't like, like to be too burdened by things. So I can look at him and I can say, yeah, well, Marco probably does need some help, but I'm not sure I'm the right person to give it. You know, I, you know we need a more strategic, joined-up approach to this whole thing. Maybe the church should have a working group on how to reach men in barbershops. You know, we could kind of build something and get some kind of process and strategy, and that's all very good. But really, it's a way, that lens is a way of me avoiding the fact that I'm standing in front of Marco. And I might have been put there for a purpose. And if I take that lens off, then I can see him. And I can think, actually, I don't know who else is going to meet. If not me, then who? If not now, then when? Maybe it's not just a random barber in a South London barber shop. Maybe it's someone who I have a purpose in meeting and in inviting. So I take off that lens. Or maybe I look at Marco and I, I'm kind of feeling a little bit skeptical. I've got my skeptical lens on. And I think, well, you know, even if I did invite him, 
glad this is entertaining you. <laughs> Even if I did invite him, I mean, what difference is it going to make? He's a busy guy. He's got a lot going on in his life. He's not going to say yes. Even if he said yes, it's probably not going to make much difference. What's the point? It's kind of like my skeptical lens. But then I can take that lens off and I say, well, who am I to say his no for him? You know, maybe the same Spirit of God who breathed breath into his lungs has been stirring something in his heart and mind. Maybe actually he's waiting for someone just to say, come and see. Maybe he's desperate for that relationship which I can introduce him to. Actually, maybe there's a purpose behind our relationship that I haven't even perceived yet. You change your lens, you change your life, and you could even change the life of someone else. Look at the Samaritan. He comes along the same road. He sees the exact same scene. He sees the very same person in exactly the same condition as the other two people, but he sees it all in a very different way. He doesn't see a problem to be avoided. He sees a person to be assisted. He doesn't see a costly risk. He sees an investment opportunity. He doesn't see, you know, this kind of situation to be steered away from. He sees someone to step towards. Your perception is powerful. Change your lens. But then also change your heart. You know, what is it that enables and energizes you to change your lens? You can try, you can go through life saying, right, I need to change my lens, put those glasses on and off, da, da, da. that'll help next week in work or in the pub or when I'm out with mates. Yeah, it might help a bit, but sooner or later, just gritting your teeth isn't going to do it. It's really interesting. Jesus says the Samaritan took pity. He was moved with compassion. The word means something that you actually feel in your guts, much more than just sympathy. Your heart connects with someone and something in them draws you towards them to help them. Compassion, the word compassion means to suffer with. You're willing to step into their suffering because of what's moved your heart. And that's what he does. He bandages his wounds. He rescues him. He takes him to an inn. He takes the risk of going along the road, even though he'd be more vulnerable to robbers. He goes into a town where there was a risk, a kind of community vengeance. He kind of puts his actual life at risk for this guy. And Jesus says to the lawyer, who was a neighbor to the man? Now, the lawyer had asked, who is my neighbor? Jesus asked him, who was a neighbor? You see, if you perceive yourself as a neighbor, it will transform every interaction in your life and he says well the one who showed him mercy what does it mean to be a neighbor to show mercy to see with eyes of mercy to act in a merciful way but it's hard though unless you see yourself as someone in need of mercy it's really hard to see others with eyes of mercy when I first uh, started going out with Beth, I was just 19 years old, and eventually you have to meet the parents, and I was a bit nervous about meeting the parents because um, Beth's mum in particular came from quite a distinguished family and been very well brought up, very well educated, they're all very, very intelligent and very, very proper, and um, I was nervous already about meeting her, and then on the way to meet her at the family house, I w- Beth kind of gave me a little kind of, you know, briefing, and that made me much more nervous. She was like, Stephen, please don't swear, and I was like, do I swear a lot? And she was like... Um, you need to use the cutlery properly. And I was like, I don't use the cutlery properly. And she was like, you need to make sure you say please and thank you every single... I was like, do I not say please and thank you? And so all this stuff is running through my head. She said, and also my mum's an amazing cook. 
and it'll make a massive difference if you enjoy her food. I was like, I can do that. Of all the things, I can eat. I'm very good at eating. So we turned up. Beth had four brothers. They were kind of sitting, we were all sitting around the table together. Each of her brothers was probably hoping on a you know, deep level that I might crash and burn. And, um, and so we sat down. And as I sat down to eat, I'd been, I had a bit of a bug that day. And as I sat down to eat, I suddenly felt seriously nauseous. And I thought, I don't believe it. This is my first impression. I'm going to be sick. I know, and I started to go a bit pale, I started to sweat a bit, I started to look like I was about to be sick, and all her brothers were kind of willing it out of me, they were kind of like, come on, better out than in, and I was, and I was kind of looking and thinking, I can't believe this is going to happen, eventually I said, I'm so sorry, I'm going to have to leave, I'm going to have to leave the table, I, I, I feel a bit ill, so I went to bed, I stayed in bed for 24 hours. Now Beth's mum has four sons, she don't need a fifth, you know, she don't... <laughs> She doesn't need a fifth to look after, you know, four nightmare sons. And so she, but she, over the next kind of few days, she looked after me like I was her fifth son. She was so kind, so, you know, I made such a terrible impression. She was so kind to me. And actually, in the years since that first meeting, over the last 15 plus years, she has been kind to me in a thousand different ways on a thousand different occasions. In so many ways, she's one of my favorite people in the world. Um, but actually, best mum has been fighting cancer now for a few years. And the last few months, actually, it's got, it's got really quite tough. And we don't know how long um, best mum will live for. And I don't know about you, I, I, I like to be quite an independent person. I don't like to rely on others. And actually, I find it really hard to show weakness. I don't like to show weakness. And that's something I really struggle with. But what I've noticed is, as Beth and I are kind of dealing with this, as we're facing this, it's kind of pushed all my emotions much closer to the surface. And so I can kind of be in a meeting, and uh, rather than being my like, normal, positive, tiggerish self, I can find myself being a bit short and frustrated and irritable, and uh, even cross with people sometimes. Like, you know, someone says, you know, have you filled in the Excel spreadsheet? And you're like, no, you know. Burn it. You know, I don't care about the XL spreadsheet. You know, you kind of completely unreasonable behavior. And, um, but what I found really moving is that those very people who I've been a bit short with and a bit impatient with, who had every reason to kind of tear a strip of me and take me down a peg and point out how I was behaving, actually, they responded with mercy. They've come alongside me. They've prayed for me. They've prayed for Beth and Beth's mom. They've prayed with us. They've wanted to support us in all sorts of really practical, incredibly kind ways. And as that's happened, it's made me realize, actually, I really struggle to receive mercy. I find it hard to receive mercy. I need help to receive mercy. And sometimes I can kid myself I don't really need mercy. But I need mercy as much as the next person. And as they've shown mercy to me, that softened my heart and then enabled me to see in a new way how the people around me also need mercy. Even the last two months, I've had two really extraordinary conversations with people who are facing real suffering. And I think the only reason I could see how they were suffering was because of the mercy that had been shown to me and the impact that had had on my heart. If, if you don't receive mercy, it's really hard to perceive people with eyes of mercy. 
And I realize, you know, I've made so many mistakes over the years. There's been times when I've considered myself too busy or had too much going on and haven't had the time to kind of stop and come alongside someone or respond to a need I've felt or I've rushed past this situation I let someone else pick that one up or I haven't taken the time to see and to act with mercy. I've made a lot of mistakes, but I tell you, I have also tasted the extraordinary life-changing mercy of Jesus Christ. And sometimes I need the Spirit of God to remind me, to preach to me and tell me afresh the mercy he has shown in my life and still shows today. Jesus, you know, though we were half dead in our sins, didn't walk past on the other side of the road, but came close, came to suffer with us, came to suffer for us. When we were naked and ashamed, covered over our nakedness, who doesn't you know, leave us in our wounds, but actually by his wounds heals our wounds, who didn't just risk his life, but gave his life for me, for you. And actually, as that awareness of the mercy I've received bubbles up inside me, it enables me to change my lens, to see in a new way, to see the people in this city that actually need someone to come alongside them, a colleague who needs a coffee, a friend who might be fighting a real battle, a family member who needs a kind word, my barber who most needs an invite to Alpha, a colleague who needs a gentle word and might be facing something that I don't even know about. Perspective, perception is powerful. And as your heart softens, as the Spirit of God softens your heart, you will see with a new lens to the faces, the eyes, the situations, the challenges of the people around you. And think what a difference we could make in this city in 2020 as we see with mercy, as we act with mercy and see what God wants to do. In Jesus' name, amen.